For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What do these three things have in common? Developing an old school photograph with the red bulbs and all those weird chemicals, trying desperately to get some sleep, laying in wait to surprise your little sister. These are all situations into which introducing more light would be a bad thing. I've never tried it, but my understanding is that the reason photos are developed in dark rooms is that when there's too much light, it ruins the picture. Or when you're trying to get to sleep and your neighbour's security light keeps on going off, that's a real headache. Or you're lying in wait. You've set your trap. You're going to jump out and surprise someone, but the lights are on. And that makes it an awful lot more difficult to conduct your sneaky scheme. But the other thing that links all of these three things together is this. They're all exceptions that sort of prove the rule. The rule being that light being shone into a dark situation is almost always a good thing. If you want to concoct some sort of scenario in your mind in which light shining into darkness is a bad thing, then you've got to work pretty hard and you'll end up coming up with scenarios and situations like the things I've described. Universally, I think it's fair to say, light coming is seen as a good thing. We've already heard the words of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It's a very festive passage which, whether you remember it or not, the likelihood is you've heard it read before. Probably at Christmas. Maybe in church, almost certainly on the tally. Weirdly, this child that is born is described as exactly that sort of thing. Light shining into darkness. Let me read to you the part of Isaiah 9 that comes immediately before that baby's birth. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. All of this sounds like wonderful news. And Isaiah says that it's precisely because a child has been born, a son 
has been given, on whose shoulders the entire world will rest. Now that sounds strong to say the least, doesn't it? It's maybe difficult for us to imagine that sort of joy, so much good news coming about because a solitary baby has been born. I've recently become an uncle for the sixth time and it is cause of great joy and thanksgiving for us as a family and I know too for the wider church family given the circumstances. But it doesn't come close to the sort of good news, the sort of joy that's being described here that is linked to the birth of this child. A people in darkness at last beholding this great, this glorious, this wonderful light. A people who had described as living in a land shrouded in the shadow of death to at last experience joy on a national scale. Joy because the fortunes of that nation have been irreversibly changed. And Isaiah says it's all because a baby has been born. Because a baby's been born? Can that really be the case? Well, it sort of depends on who that baby is, doesn't it? Or what that baby represents. Obviously, my new nephew causes more joy for his parents than he does for me, and certainly causes more joy for us than he does for you. So it kind of makes sense that there could be a certain baby born that could fulfill this sort of promise. And Isaiah shows us that this is no normal baby. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. These are great titles. These are grand titles and they pick up on a number of other Old Testament promises and pictures. But he goes on. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We get a glimpse, more than a hint, that this is no normal child. That that is an understatement, really. And it's this idea that the Apostle John, one of Jesus' most dearest friends, takes up as he tells us his own version of the nativity story. It's this imagery of light coming, banishing darkness because a child has been born. When he retells the story of Jesus's birth, there aren't the usual shepherds, there aren't the usual innkeepers, there's not a tea towel in sight, but make no mistake about it. John wants us to know exactly why the coming of Jesus is such good news. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is not simply someone whose coming allows the light to come. He's not like a blind that's been opened so that a room can be filled with light. He's not even someone who points to or signifies the fact that light has come, like a, like a cockerel crowing and letting you know that the morning has arrived. Nor John says that Jesus is the light come, that he himself is the coming light. And John fills out this picture, doesn't he? It isn't simply light. Light is a metaphor in and of itself for the life that comes with Jesus. Which sort of makes sense when we have in our minds the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. That the light has come to people who are living under the shadow of death. If light equals life, then the idea of darkness is the idea of death. And that's a scary prospect, I guess. That we live in a world which is dark. We live in a world which is often happily dark. Happily ignorant, happily wandering around with its eyes closed, not acknowledging the son who has been born to us. It's a scary prospect, I guess, to realise that the situation we are in without Jesus isn't described in very favourable terms in the Bible. But this is where the good news really is. When Jesus is disclosed to be the light, that's also a a declaration that he is the life that we need. You see, wherever he is, the darkness has to flee and in its place be replaced with life. And that is good news because the world into which Jesus came really was, really is, a very dark place. Now we could paint our own portrait of the struggles, the suffering that we've endured, not just in 2020, but in December 2020. And that would be powerful enough. But I love the language, I love the imagery that Isaiah uses to help us to see, to help us to feel the weight of the situation into which this light has come, into which this baby has been born. The words, the phrases, they're they're powerful that Isaiah uses. 
He speaks about a gloom that consumes everything. He speaks about people who are genuinely distressed, not just ignorant of the world around them, but, but, but put out by the world around them. Speaks about burdens being lifted, which imply that burdens had first been in place, and that ultimate description of the shadow of death. In Isaiah 9, he says that all of that melts away because the child is born. All of that is dealt with, is defeated, is done for because the light has come. Because the eternal word has taken on flesh because Jesus has arrived. Now, don't misunderstand. Don't get me wrong. Of course, it did not happen all at once. In an instant when Jesus was born, very little changed. But as he grew, as he ventured beyond his family home, slowly but surely the effects of the darkness began to melt away. Light has dawned is what Isaiah writes. The sun has not yet reached its peak, but still its effects are being felt. In John's Gospel, that idea is given legs. We read so many stories of Jesus encountering that darkness, that gloom, that distress, that burden in so many different ways and in so many different places and in all of the circumstances, making a material difference, making a difference to people's lives. We meet this the story of Jesus meeting an outcast, a woman at a well, who's been shunned by her family, her friends, her neighbours, her community. And Jesus confronts that shunning. He confronts that being cast out. And what happens? All of a sudden, she becomes a focal point for the whole community. The light comes into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The, the darkness flees. We read about Jesus encountering uh, a lame person, someone who can no longer walk because of a disability. And what happens? With a word, with a promise, with, with, a, with a gaze, the light comes and casts that darkness out. The man walks again. There's a blind man, literally walking in darkness, who Jesus encounters and he is able to see once again, for the first time even. Literally light shining into darkness. Perhaps the most amazing way we see this in John's Gospel as Jesus the light walks in our darkness and pushes it back is in the death of his friend Lazarus. When Jesus stood outside the tomb of someone he loved and he wept because death was a very present reality. Yet Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke, he called his friend out of the grave. And as he called his friend out of the grave, the darkness fled. The ultimate picture, of course, of light dismissing darkness came after the darkness appeared to have consumed the light. When that child who was born was fully matured, and rejected by the people and sentenced to death and buried in the ground and the stone was rolled over his tomb. You'd be forgiven for 
thinking, the darkness had won. The darkness was the ultimate victor. The darkness's rule and reign, that's what was here to stay. Not the child, not the light, not David's descendant on the throne, but darkness and ultimately death. But we know the story of Easter, don't we? That though Jesus died on the Friday by Sunday, he was alive. He was up, he was out, he was walking, he was talking. Death could not overcome light. Darkness could not overcome life. The picture is, the story is, for us to listen to, to see and to celebrate as good news that wherever Jesus goes, there is a darkness dispelling, a darkness consuming, even a darkness destroying thing going on. And we're fortunate that every year we get to celebrate Christmas. Christmas at a time of year, and I think this is deliberate, when life is at its literal darkness. We get to anticipate the dawning of the light each and every year. I've looked it up. The 21st of December, sometimes the 22nd, but almost almost the 21st, is the shortest day of the year. By that I mean it is the day with the fewest hours of light. The night lasts the longest on December the 21st. But just around the corner is December the 25th. And our annual celebration, the lengthening of the days linked to the coming of this child. Those people walking, living, suffering under the weight of darkness at last get to see the light. At Christmas we are quite literally walking in that darkness but get to glimpse the coming of the light. Here is the good news of Isaiah 9, of John 1, of the Bible beginning to end, told in one simple phrase. The light has come. The light has dawned. A child has been born, who would be born not just of a, a woman's womb, but the, a womb of the earth, the tomb of the grave. Light has entered into our dark and desperate world and it has won. And that means that for you and I, darkness is no longer the worst thing possible. Because light has come and it will grow and it will spread until a time, the Bible says, when there is no night or day, there is no need for a sun in the sky because Jesus sheds light on everything. We live in a time where the sun has risen but it's not quite yet at its peak. But the hope of the Bible, the hope of the story that we celebrate in Jesus is being born and his living and his dying and his rising to life again, his ascending to heaven and his promise to come back is that that light is shining further and further 
it is getting into the darkest and deepest nooks and crannies of our existence. And it is saying, darkness, be gone. Darkness, be dealt with. I don't know how you feel today as you cutch up on your sofa to listen to a couple of carols and endure me prattling on for a couple of minutes. As you maybe stare out the window and the clouds gather, the rain falls, you hear the central heating ticking over because it's so cold outside. Loved ones are bubbles away from you. Perhaps you've lost people, lost income, lost hope in life. The message of Christmas is this. Light has come. Light is coming. Darkness is on the run because a child, a special child, God himself taking on flesh is here. And wherever he is, darkness can do one. Darkness is properly on the run. That's good news. That's great news. That's apparently the sort of news that should make us rejoice as if our harvest is plentiful, as if our victory in battles at last have been won and there would be no more wars. It's stupendous news for everyone who dwells in the darkness. I think that's everyone who draws breath on planet Earth. There's a little bit more to be said before we finish, and that is that Jesus commands us to take that light with us. Jesus invites us to be a part of that shining light, displacing darkness, making darkness run. Jesus described himself as the light of the world, and in the Bible, his followers are called the light of the world too, where we have the opportunity to live and to love and to speak in such a way that darkness melts before us. That distress, disease, death, the suffering, that they all melt away because of who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus. That's a privilege. That is a wonderful opportunity, a thing that we get to be a part of. At Christmas, sometimes we can turn our gaze inwards. We turn our gaze into our nearest and dearest, and especially a year like 2020, where we've been told that we can choose very carefully who we want to care about for the next couple of weeks and the next couple of days. Jesus calls us to have a bigger vision. Jesus calls us to have a bigger purpose to be a part of the light shining in the darkness, to be a part of the, the reason, the cause for celebrations and for joy. By loving, by speaking, by living as if and because the light has come. On the people walking in darkness, a great light has shone. For those people living under the shadow of death, the light has dawned and it means joy, unspeakable, because the child has been born. The Son 
has been given. The light of the world shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the good news of Christmas. I hope we all have eyes to see it. And I hope we all have ears to respond to Jesus' call to shine his light wherever we go as well. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you so much that peering into our darkness, you decided to speak light. Where it felt like death was the, the only master, Jesus came and said, no, this is my realm. This is my throne. This is my kingdom forever and ever. Lord, we acknowledge that we still live in a world that has these deep and dark and desperate nooks and crannies. We thank you, Lord, that our hope is in something more, something greater. Not just to be comfortable now until we face death, but in Jesus to go beyond death. To look forward to a time when that light has well and truly done away with darkness. Lord, I pray especially for those people at home right now who have lost hope. Who for them, life and darkness has overwhelmed them. That picture in Isaiah 9 speaks so powerfully over their lives that they feel like they live in the shadow of death, Lord. Help Jesus to come into their lives and their situations. Help them to see, to acknowledge, to savour, to enjoy, to rejoice because the light has come. And Lord, for those of us who might call themselves already people of the light, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Give us the courage, give us the tools that we need to be little lanterns of you wherever we go. Little flickering flames and Christmas lights in these next few weeks as we speak for Jesus, as we live for Jesus, as we point others to him and as we do what he expects us to do. Lord, help it to be a time when your people here in Amford truly, truly shine your light and we thank you for this christmas season we thank you that though december the 21st may be dark we know that december the 25th is coming the sun is given the child is born the light is coming into the world thank you so much for jesus in his great and glorious name amen